invite you to open your Bibles or look in your worship guides and turn to Isaiah 55 and Matthew 11. Isaiah 55 and Matthew 11. We actually have more than I'll be reading in the bulletin. I'll just be reading the first three verses of Isaiah 55. Then the three verses in Matthew 11. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pray with me. Father, I pray that in this moment you would You would send your spirit to open up our hearts and our minds. Allow us to receive your word. That you would come and you would speak to us, God. We need to hear from you and not from me. Lord, our attention spans are very small. Our hearts are often hardened. Our wills resistant to you. And I pray that you would overcome all of that tonight. Because the words that we need to hear are life-giving, for they are from you. So I pray in this moment that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've learned over the years that holidays and vacations uh, exist not for you to have rest, but for you to appreciate your life back home. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get back to a normal life. Um, we, we traveled a good bit, five different beds, five different nights. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be back home. And, and as I'm home and I'm thinking about the new year, and I ask myself this every year, I, it's not really a New Year's resolution. I just want to know, what is my normal life going to look like? What do I want my normal, everyday like life to look like this year? And as I was thinking through this question, Isaiah 55 kept coming to mind with God's invitation to come and to come and to come and to come thirsty. And Jesus' invitation to come and to come and to find rest. And I thought, that's what I want my normal life to be this year. I, I, I want to be thirsty. I want to come. I want to come to Jesus and be satisfied and to find rest. And so I began just 
reading and rereading this text. And I wanted us to do that tonight. And I realize going through Isaiah 55 and Matthew 11 that these are texts we've heard a lot. If you've grown up in church, you have. So they're very familiar to us. And I bet you could explain them. I could already explain them, but I bet you have a harder time experiencing them. It's one of those things that we really kind of know in our head that we're to come to Jesus, that he satisfies, that he provides rest. And we, we know these things, but the experience of these things seems a little distant to us. And so I'm praying that tonight through God's spirit that he would take some of these simple truths and maybe you would hear them in a, a new way and for the first time really write them on your hearts. Now to understand what's going on in Isaiah 55, um, you, you really have to know in Isaiah what's leading up to it. Um, in Isaiah 53, you have one of the, uh, the highlight chapters of the Bible, if you will. It's, it's the chapter of the suffering servant. And here you have such verses as, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture in which you, you see this mysterious servant who, who we know is Jesus, who's prophesied about that he will come and he will take the punishment that's due everybody and he will take it and he will put it upon himself. Whereas Isaiah says, he is, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's chapter 53. Then you go to 54 which tells us of the blessings that we should receive because of this. The blessings that are ours. And so you have passages like this. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing. Cry out loud, you who have never been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And so all of the, uh, this chapter 54 is about joy and jubilation and the blessings that are ours. And then we come to Isaiah 55. Which is all about how we get this. An invitation to actually receive the blessings that are ours. So we have in 53, atonement, the substitution. And then we have in 54, the blessings that can be ours. And then in 55, it's saying, come, Take and receive this. What you have is the gospel here. Saying, I know you believe the gospel, but now it's time for you to live out the fruit of the gospel. For it to be a reality in your life, you're to come and you're to take and you're to eat. Verse 1 begins by saying, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, this is God here speaking to us, and it's an invitation. For us to come to him. Now, I don't want to just jump over that. We worship a God who invites us. He's, he's not a God who's you know, out busy, you know, running the universe, doesn't have time for us. He's not a distant God. We, we serve a God who invites us to be with him in his presence. Now, there's two different types of invitations 
You can have the invitation that comes from a welcoming host. Maybe they give you a written card or, or a verbal invitation and they invite you to their house. That's one type of invitation. But another form of invitation comes when we see a place that the place itself is inviting. Maybe uh, picture a, a grassy little area in which the sun is shining down on it and it's right by a mountain stream and it's a beautiful fall day. You come upon a place like that and it's inviting. It's, it's irresistible. You, you can't not go there because of the beauty and the comfort that will be provided. It draws you in. And what God is saying here is his invitation is both of these invitations. He's the welcoming host. He's saying, come, come to me. But, but he's asking you to come to a place of irresistible beauty and comfort. He's not saying, hey, come and let me throw law on you. Come, let me make you feel guilty. Come, I've got a bunch of things that I want you to do, and I want to make your life miserable. I, want to, I don't want you to ever have fun. Come to me, and I'm going to throw this at you. That's not what he's saying. He's both a place of irresistible beauty And he's inviting us himself to come so we can be refreshed in his presence. And we see that this invitation goes out to two different types of people. It goes out to those who have no money and to those who have some form of money. Look at verse 1 again. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. I know that there are some people here who have no money. At least as Isaiah is talking about this. If you feel, if you're in this room and you feel that you have nothing to offer, you have no moral ground to stand on. You have no good track record you could look back upon. Uh, You you can only look to the past and see things that you're ashamed of. If that's you, then then you're the person here who has no money. If you have no strength or if you have no motivation to even try anymore, this is you. If you have a failing marriage or perhaps you lose your temper with your kids, you've lost all your desire to pray, then this is you. If over the years you feel your heart has grown so cold that you really have no affection for God, this is you. This invitation is for those who have nothing to offer. Now, This is hard for us to imagine because we don't extend invitations to people like that. Everybody here is a user. Everybody is. We might try to mask it and try to disguise it in different ways, but really we we invite people who we want to use, who who we want to get something from. But God here is putting out an invitation to a people he will get nothing from. Yet he is saying, come, come. Now, if that person is you that I just described, then you might be thinking, well, since I have nothing to offer, then what God is offering me must actually be worthless. But you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, What you are being offering, even though you don't have to pay for it, what you're being offering is of immense value. 
We see here that the invitation is not just for water, but it's for milk. It's, it's even for wine. Now, water represents refreshment by God. I, I call my wife, just a little side note, I call my wife the hydrator, okay? Because she's always concerned about my hydration level and, and hers. And she, she sucks on her Nalgene like it's a pacifier. It, it goes no place without her. But, but she has to have it at all times. She has to be hydrated or, or, or she, she panics. She always needs that refreshment. And so God is like this. He says, I, I can quench that. Come to me. Come to me for water. He offers us refreshment, but then he goes on more. He says, I'm going to give you milk and wine. Now, milk represents nourishment. Wine represents joy. God is saying that not only if you come to me, you will not only be refreshed, but you're going to be nourished. I'm going to give you a substance that will sustain your soul. Real food here. Uh, But even more than that, your hearts and your souls will be filled with joy. You'll be given wine to drink. For for those of you who grew up Baptist, let me me explain that to you. Um, I I grew up Baptist. I, I never had... Wine until I was 27, 28 years old. <coughs> wine gladdens the heart. It's the biblical definition, not mine, all right? Wine gladdens the heart. And so what, what, what God is saying here when he says, I will give you wine to drink, he's saying, I, I'll make you sing. I, I'll make you dance. I will fill you with joy. I'm not just giving water. I am giving you an abundant life. Yours. Free. Come and take. He's offering you what you have always wanted. So you see here that the reason that this gift is without cost is not because it in itself doesn't have value. It's actually the opposite. It's because it is of the greatest value. It's priceless. You can't put a cost. You can't put a price to what he is offering. We can never pay for this gift. I recently um, was at my brother's wedding. He's 44. He just got married. And at the rehearsal dinner, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, uh, but at the rehearsal dinner, he had people from all over the world who, who came to this because he has traveled around with the Olympics for like the last, I don't know, 12, 14 years or so. And, um, and so he has friends from all over the world. And my brother is very generous, and he gives a lot of his belongings away. And there was a guy, I think he was from Greece. Uh, His name was Demetrius. He was from Greece and he got up and he looked at my brother and he said, I I owe everything to you. Uh, He goes, you you found me. You you provided me money so I could look for a job. I couldn't find a job. So then you found me a job. You flew me all around to different interviews. You, You rented me an apartment in New York so I could have a job there. You introduced me to my wife. You've given me everything. You said, if, if I were to give you all the money I were to ever make for the rest of my life, I couldn't possibly pay you back. It was, it was such a beautiful picture of the grace in the gospel. But imagine that scene after that moment if, if Demetrius had said, but, but I'm going to try. And so, you know, he gets out his wallet and he's like, yeah, I mean, I've got a 20. You know, I got a 20. That, that should pretty much cover everything, right? 
If he were even to attempt to pay back that, he would both dishonor my brother and he would dishonor the gifts. The gifts are free. And for him to try to pay that back, he would be throwing shame at my brother's face. The right thing to do is simply to enjoy the gift and have a heart of gratitude and to realize that what my brother wanted more than anything was relationship. It's what God is doing here. You can't put a price on what he has done. But make no mistake, just because you can never pay for it doesn't mean he didn't pay for it. This gift was not free. It's free to us, but it cost Jesus everything. We saw that in chapter 53, what it cost Jesus. It cost Jesus his own blood. So, so what do you think you could possibly offer him back in, in light of that? God became man. He was scorned. He was mocked. He died a horrible death. Don't ever think for a moment that you could slightly pay him back something. Or maybe if you did one more good deed, then hey, we'll just call it even. We, we can't ever pay God back for the gift that he offers We simply enjoy his gifts, and this honors him. The way to honor God is for you to just come, eat, enjoy. And when you do this, you are both satisfied and God is honored. Let's look at the second type of person that God invites. We see this person in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. So now God is inviting people who who have some form of money, and they they can actually work. They have strength for labor. But they're spending it unwisely on things that cannot satisfy them. And perhaps this is some of you. If you're a capable person, you, you look at yourself and think, I'm a pretty capable person, and I've got some money, and I've got some ambition, yet you find yourself restless and you live in constant frustration, then this person is you. If you are always chasing that elusive dream, always searching, always working, always trying different things, thinking perhaps that maybe a different job or a different house or a different spouse or a different look or maybe a new diet or a new clothes or some new electronic gadget that, that something is finally going to close the gap between you and being satisfied. If that's you, that's who Isaiah is talking about. If you spend your life constantly laboring for a new way to entertain yourself, tiring yourself in pursuit of this next expendable pleasure, then this is you. If you think that maybe if you labor a little bit more and do one more good work, perhaps walk one more old lady across the street, do something, then finally you will earn God's love then this is for you. God is asking you to quit spending on what will not satisfy. He's asking you the question, 
why are you doing this? I mean, have you stopped to actually ask yourself why you're doing this? Why are you constantly exhausting yourself on things that will not satisfy? I mean, what, you know, God's asking you, what's, what's your end game here? You know, Lauren and I, we can get all worked up on different things like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? Where are we going to, you know, send our kids to school? You know, and we get all worked up about that. And then, well, if you find an answer, then it's going to be, well, who are our kids going to date? We got we to gotta really be thinking about all of that. Where are they going to go to college? Are they ever going to find anybody to marry? Are they ever going to get a right job? And you can keep thinking and thinking and trying to provide and trying to provide. But ask yourself, what's your end game? Well, they need to do really well in school so they could get a good job. Why? If the end game is, as the Westminster Catechism would say, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, you could pretty much do that with anything. If your end game is to come and to be with Jesus, you could pretty much do that with anything. So I have to ask myself, why am I exhausting myself over so many things? And I want you to think right now. I want you to think back over this past year. And I want you to ask yourself, what did I labor over? Really, think think back. What, What did I labor over? What exhausted my energy? What consumed my thoughts? What was the same conversation I had over and over and over, whether in my head or to somebody else? And I want you to think back through all of those labors, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Were you satisfied? I've seen over the years tragedy hit a number of my friends. Perhaps it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of their health. And let me tell you, when, when that happens, it's like a, a lens has been lifted and people can see clearly just how ridiculous many of their labors have been. It's like they, they can finally see it. If you suffer the loss of a loved one, you, you no longer care about what house you live in what kind of car you drive, what type of phone you have. You don't care about your new diet or whatever it is because you realize those things never satisfied you. And they never will. And you're given clarity. And so you don't go to those things. And so in the past, you might have run from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. But now you realize that never once ever have those things sustained you. You were working for things that gave you no sustenance. At best, those things were just a momentary distraction. But in times of deep loss, you realize what is food. Where can I go to quench my thirst? So accept God's invitation to come to him. That's really what this is about. It isn't an invitation to come get food or come ask him for good things. It's an invitation to come to him. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. 
Come to me. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We, we don't go looking for God and hope that he is near. God is near. He, he's near us and he's assuring, come, seek me. You will find me. And what you need is me. Jesus offers this same invitation in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when I read those words, it's like a breath of fresh air. I've read those words so many times today. I mean, who, who here doesn't want rest? Who here doesn't want to be eased of a burden? I mean, Lauren and I are exhausted from celebrating Christ's birth, okay? Yesterday, if you were to come to our house, uh, we had created a, a pile of things to throw away, a pile of things to go to Goodwill, a pile of things that we were going to give to the church, a pile of things that we were uncertain about, we'd possibly keep. Then we had a pile of things that we were planning on returning, and then a pile of things that we wanted to return, but we didn't have a receipt, so we didn't know where they went, who we were to return them to. And then we had a pile of things that we were going to keep, but we had no room for. I know, first world problems, okay? Uh, you know, just, just all these piles of things. And, and we're exhausted from it. But it doesn't matter if, if you're first world, if you're third world, everybody has a burden. Everybody feel, feels this weariness. Everybody's exhausted. And Jesus says you could come to Him and you will find rest. St. Augustine famously said these words about Jesus' words here. He said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are both wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus doesn't offer a new philosophy, some new moral teaching. He doesn't offer you a class on how to improve your life or maybe some self-help book. What he offers you is himself. Come to me. Because rest is only to be found in his presence. Now I want you to notice here that when Jesus offers us rest, he's not offering you a vacation He's not saying that if you come to me, you're no longer will labor. You know, come to me and there will never be laundry. You know, come to me, you'll never change another diaper. You know, come to me, you won't have to mow the lawn. You know, he's not saying that. You will work. No, God put Adam and Eve in this world and he put them to work in a garden. Work is a gift from God. You'll find that all through scripture. When we're in heaven, we'll actually be working. Sermon for another day. But work is a gift from him. Jesus says that we're still going to have to put on a yoke. So, so make no mistake, there's work. Discipleship is work. 
When you read through Isaiah 55, you still have to come. You have to listen. It says, listen to me, incline your ear to me, which means you, you have to be listening to God's word, it means you have to read God's word. You have to pray to God. Reading and praying and listening take time. They take effort. They're work. Obeying God's word takes even more effort. It's work. Uh, But it's not work that's under the law. It's work that's under grace. This isn't a performance-based work. It's, It's work that stems from a new heart that's been fueled and energized by the Spirit of God Himself. Now, find the context of this passage here really striking. All of chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, is somewhat of an unusual chapter. It's almost entirely about John the Baptist. Uh, And I've never once heard anybody preach, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest in its context. But let me give you the context. Earlier in chapter 11, John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of woman, finds himself rotting in prison. He's about to be executed. And and in this moment of doubt and frustration, which is what's happening here, because he's been faithfully preaching and teaching and, I mean, living off locusts and out in the desert for so long, and he's been so faithful, but now he finds himself in prison. And he's doubting. So in this moment, he sends a message to Jesus and he says, are you really the one that we've been waiting for? Or are we supposed to be looking for someone else? And just so you know, John the Baptist knows that Jesus is the one. He knows it. He knew it before he was even born. Remember when he was in Elizabeth, his mother's womb, and he comes near Mary and Jesus is in Mary's womb? He literally leaps in the womb for joy. He knows He was there at Jesus' baptism. He saw the the Spirit of God descend like a dove. He heard the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist knows that Jesus is the one. However, when your life doesn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out, when things really aren't you know, playing out the way I, I thought you know, it was supposed to go this way, and it's actually going the exact opposite, now I find myself in prison, and I'm about to have my head chopped off just because Herod wants to be amused. Because of that, he, he doubts. So John sends Jesus this message, and Jesus responds by talking at length about the greatness of John the Baptist. And how it was a shame that people did not accept him and really believe his message. And then he thanks his father that his disciples did listen to him. Their hearts were open to that. And then finally he says this here. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And what Jesus is doing is he's reminding John of something. He's reminding us of something. And it's it's a gentle reminder, but it's a reminder nevertheless. He's saying, John, I know you've labored hard. I I know you've worked so hard. And I know your life isn't turning out the way that you want. But even in prison, you can have rest. You can have rest. Come to me. 
Paul was the epitome of this. Paul was the most restful man alive. I mean, the authorities would want to arrest Paul, you know, or they would want to kill him. He'd be like, great, I get to be with Jesus, you know, and he's just happy. Well, all right, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to beat you. Great, I get to suffer for the Lord, which infuriates them. So they, you know, well, fine, we're going to throw you in prison. Fantastic. I'm just going to, you know, share my faith to the guards and he's singing in jail. Like, fine, we'll release you. Fantastic. I get to tell everybody about Jesus. He was untouchable. I mean, really, he was un- there was nothing you could do to Paul. He was perfectly at rest because he went to Jesus. There was no performance-based righteousness. He knew God loved him. God took care of him. God was in complete and total control of his life. And so his load was not heavy, no matter the circumstance. Now, for those of you who are longing to have that kind of rest, know that only two things are necessary. Just two things. It's not like, you know, bring me the broom of the witch. It's no great task. It's pretty easy. Isaiah says that you are to come thirsty. All who thirst. You come thirsty, meaning you have to realize you have a need. As Augustine would say, you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And then Jesus says you have to come weary. Meaning that you come to a point where you realize you cannot do the work. You just can't do it anymore. You come to him thirsty. You come to him weary. But you come. Over and over again, you hear the words in Isaiah, come. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Come thirsty, come weary, but certainly and surely come. Pray with me. Lord, I'm not sure anything new was heard by by probably many in this room. But that doesn't really mean anything. We want the reality of what we have heard to hit our hearts. God, I pray that this year would be defined by us coming to you, Jesus. That you would give us a thirst for you. Lord, that we will seek you with everything. And I pray that we would lay our weary bones down and quit trying to perform. Lord, and that we would live under grace. So God, may we come to you in this moment. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.